Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to Politics by Faith. I'm Mike Slater. We have a special edition of the podcast for you. This is a TV special that we did in September on the first TV. It's called Faith Under Attack. We talked to the great Dennis Prager, who I love, We talked to the pastor in Canada who was thrown in jail for staying open during COVID. You've seen him before. You heard it. He's the guy that's like, you fascist, you fascist. We talked to that guy. And we talked to Coach Joe Kennedy. He's the football coach in Washington State who kept praying after his football games. And he got fired for it. And the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And he won. So a wonderful religious freedom victory there. Three amazing guests. The closing monologue, we talked about how the Ivy League universities, all of them except for one, were founded as Christian seminaries. The original motto for Harvard was in Christi Glorium, for the glory of Christ. What happened? (laughs) Look at it now. That's all coming up. But let's start out with how faith is under attack in America. I lay out the arguments, see if you agree. We'll go from there. I'm grateful you're here. Of course, we still have our our normal podcast formats that we're going to do at least twice a week, but hopefully you enjoy these other things that we throw in here as well for your listening, edification, and enjoyment. Here it is, Faith Under Attack. Hey, Slider Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks so much for being here. Religion is under attack in America. Now, this isn't a prediction for the future. I'm not here to say that one day maybe we'll be under attack. No, religion has been under attack. So before we talk about the future, let's just assess the moment that we're in right now. So Gallup has been asking this question since 1944. Do you believe in God? It used to be 98% of Americans said, yes, I believe in God. Today, 81% said yes. It's down six points just from 2017. Now, 81% say they believe in God. You may look at that and be like, well, that's like, that's okay. Like, it's pretty good. Better than maybe I thought, right? You look around at what a pagan culture we are. You think it's like 2% of people believe in God. But 81, like that's pretty high still. Nah, not really. The question is deceiving. So Gallup actually asks that question three different ways. So the first way they ask it is, do you believe in God? And 81% say yes. Again, lowest ever, but still pretty high. But then they ask it another way, too. They have another wording. They say, for each of the terms I'm going to read to you, please tell me if it's something you believe in, something you're not sure about, or something you don't believe in. So they give you three options. And the first thing they say is, what about God? In this wording, 79% say they believe in God. So it chips down a little bit. They ask it another way, right? This time they have five options. And they say, which is closest to you? You are convinced God exists. That's the highest. You think God probably exists, but you have a little bit of doubt. Probably exists, but a lot of doubt. 
probably does not exist, but you're not sure. And then certainly God does not exist. So they give you five different options to choose from. When they present it like that, 64% of people are convinced that God exists. So you see how we're chipping away? If you just ask people, does God exist? They say yes. But if you ask a little bit more nuance, a little more detail, ah, well, now you're down to 64% of people. But then you ask people about the Bible. You ask people about the word of God. And the question is, do you believe that the Bible is the actual literal word of God that should be taken literally? 20%. Hold on. 49% think it's an inspired word of God, but not everything should be taken literally, <laughs> which I love. It's the word of God, the almighty, the creator of all things and all universe, ever, but it didn't, let's not take it so literally, right? So people may believe in this higher power concept of a God. If you stop someone in the streets, do you believe in, in the street? Do you believe in God? They'll say yes, because like they believe in like this. But if you ask people if they believe in the God of the Bible, very few people will say yes. And by the way, that was me not long ago. Right? I became a Christian uh, uh, nine years ago. Right? It was just our anniversary when we became a Christian just before uh, I got married. So it's about, just about nine years ago. Uh, and I used to be this. I used to be the whole, like, you know, if you asked me if I believed in God, I'd be like, yeah, well, tell me about him. <laughs> like, I just like... Uh, <laughs> like, I, like, I don't know anything. I don't, it's just like, I kind of, I'm spiritual, right? Very few people are truly Bible-believing Christians in America anymore. Oh, but do you believe in God? Yeah, yeah, sure. But it's just whatever they make up in their head to feel good in the moment. It's not the actual God of the Bible. To a lot of people, Mother Earth is a God, or they've made themselves God. That's what it was for me. You hear people, you know, you ask, uh, do you believe in God or are you Christian or whatever? And they'll be like, oh, well, I'm spiritual. And what was that? <laughs> I'm spiritual. I mean, people go to psychics or spiritual, right? Really, what, when someone says I'm spiritual, I, I, which I used to say, that means I worship myself. It means I worship myself and whatever I think, whatever I come up with, whatever I devise in my head that makes me feel good, I'm spiritual and, and uh, that's what I believe. Or people will say, I believe in a higher power, but that could be anything. I talked to a guy recently who, who believes in uh, cosmic energy. <laughs> like, like, what are you talking about, right? That's a higher power. And then don't get me started on people who say that the Christian God or that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. You hear people do that. They're like, oh, we need to coexist. We all worship the same God. No, we don't. Not at all. So that's where we are right now, right? If you believe... Like, if we were found as a, as a, a Bible Christian nation, like, we're not anymore. You know, like, 15, 20% of people truly believe that. And then what percentage of people actually live that? Well, so that's where we are. What's next? What's the next step in this attack? We've, it's been under attack for decades now. So here's where we are. What's next? I'll tell you how it's going to go down next. I'll tell you what the final blow is going to be. Progressives are going to say that preaching the Bible is hate speech. Preaching the Bible is hate speech. And in the name of stopping hate speech, governments are going to take away the tax-exempt status of churches. Now, is the Bible hate speech? That's the claim they're going to make. The Bible is hate speech. You're not allowed to say it. It's hateful. So is the Bible hate speech? 
If you define hate speech as anything that might make somebody uncomfortable, then yes, it is. But that's the point. I pray that when you hear God's word, that you are very uncomfortable. I pray that you are more miserable than you even are right now, until you fully, deeply, completely realize what a wretch and sinner you are and how much you need Jesus in your life to save your life. Now, that can be very hateful sounding, right? When someone says you're a sinner who needs saving, that's uncomfortable, right? People are like, oh, but I'm perfect, I'm amazing, I'm wonderful just the way I am, I don't need saving, oh, you're making me feel bad, you're being hateful, yeah, yeah. But it's out of love, because I want you saved. But you can see, I'll have, if someone rejects this, that's hateful, that's hurtful, and we can't allow that. There was a poll from 2017, you know it's worse now. But in 2017, 90% of liberals say it's hateful or offensive to say that homosexuality is a sin. And I think what's even worse in this poll, 47% of conservatives agree that it's hateful to say that homosexuality is sinful. Okay? So it's 2017, you know it's worse now. So when you read Romans 1 in the Bible about homosexuality, and if you were to, heaven forbid, preach on that in a church, that's hateful. But it's not just that. Just to say there's one way to the Father, one way to God, one way. No other way other than through Jesus. That's uncomfortable. That's the point. And if something makes you uncomfortable, if that's hate speech, well, then, yeah, that's hate speech. And the left is going to say we can't allow that. They tried it once, and they'll keep trying it. Back in 2015, the Houston City Council passed what they called the HERO Act, the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance. Uh, it was like a bathroom bill kind of thing, like you can't discriminate against anyone because of their sexual orientation and their gender identity. So it's like a transgender bathroom kind of whole thing, right? And they passed it, the, the city council passed it, and then churches spoke out against it in Houston. And the mayor by the time was a lesbian, by the way, right? So you have that element there too. Uh, but churches got involved. And they spoke out against it, and they were collecting signatures for a signature drive to put it on the ballot and the whole thing. And the people in favor of this HERO Act uh, freaked out, right? So the city sent a subpoena to the churches demanding this. All speeches, presentations, or sermons related to HERO, the ordinance, the petition, the mayor, homosexuality, or gender identity, prepared by, delivered by, revised by, or approved by you or in your possession, pastor, you have to hand in to the city government. The goal, this is 2015, the goal here was to prove that these churches are acting as political organizations, hateful ones at that, and should therefore lose their tax-exempt status as a church. So if you're preaching Anything regarding Romans 1 and homosexuality, you're now considered, no they, this is the goal, to no longer consider you a church. Instead, you're a political organization and a hate organization. And we're going to at least take away your tax-exempt status. Now, there was enough backlash that they, they stopped this, right? But that's how this is going to go down as we move forward. I mean, this is in Houston, Texas, okay? Obviously, if they attempt this in a more godless place, then uh, they'll, they'll get away with it, right? There are fewer, and so they're gonna keep trying it, right? They're gonna keep trying this attack. There are also fewer and fewer people who believe in the word of God at all, right? Fewer people who, fewer churches who would even ever preach on Romans 1, for instance. There's more and more people who think that the Bible is hate speech. 
There's more and more people who believe that hate speech shouldn't be allowed. There's fewer people who believe in the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion at all. So it's just a matter of time before the state takes down churches for being spreaders of hate. And to that I say, good. We as Christians have been too comfortable for too long in our Christianity in this country. We've become too soft, too weak. We need some real persecution. It'll have the church be driven underground, separate the wheat from the chaff. Sounds good to me. It'll give people a real choice. COVID did a lot of this too, right? For the better. Gives people a real choice. You in, you out. You believe or you don't. And that's a good thing. True persecution from our government will strengthen the church. It'll make it smaller, but stronger. And that, I welcome. Coming up next, we're going to talk to the great Dennis Prager. We're also going to talk to a pastor in Canada who was thrown in jail for daring to hold service during COVID lockdowns. And then we'll talk to that football coach up in Washington who won his Supreme Court case, allowing him to pray after games. But the fact that he was attacked for praying after games shows where we are today. Super show today. Super grateful that you are here. Dennis Prager, coming up next. Spread the word. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. So then what do you do with a Catholic? Say so you find out someone is Catholic and <laughs> So have you found like that certain religions tend to be more right-wing? Protestants in this area. That's uh, about a, a local uh, New York City high school, right? But we've seen this attack in our universities against religion for a long time now, but it's trickling down even into the lower. Uh, grade levels as well. The great Dennis Prager is here. You must must watch his and uh, listen to his radio show and everything else he's doing, including everything, of course, at the wonderful Prager University. But the top priority right now is to buy his newest book, The Rational Bible. This is a study Bible now in the book of Deuteronomy. I have his Genesis version right here, but please buy it. It comes out October 11th. Mr. Dennis Prager, how are you, sir? That was amazing what you showed. What's that? This right here? This book that you wrote? No, 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 that clip. Oh, yeah. Yeah, our, our, what was it? Why did she ask our, uh, which religions are more likely right-wing? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they so don't this hire is what... The, Christians. The, the, yeah, exactly. Look, uh, let me say as a Jew that uh, the greatest hatred today that is allowable is hatred of Christians and Christianity because you are the last large group to oppose leftism. Mm. That's it. So they, if, if you can be undermined and they're, they're doing that, and if you can be ruined within the churches by leftism 
infiltrating uh, Catholicism and mainstream Protestantism as it has much of non-Orthodox Judaism, then we're really uh, in for a terrible ride in, in Western civilization. Yeah, they, they theory... hate you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt. My theory is that mm-hmm. next thing they're going to do is they're going to call the Bible hate speech, and we can't allow hate speech. There's no freedom of hate speech. Uh, and they're going to take away tax-exempt status of churches. I think that's the next attack. What do you think of that? I well, the first one is is the second one is tougher because it's legislation, but this one, I look they already, to be honest, I mean, woke Protestants, Catholics, and Jews already think that the Bible uh, is is sexist, misogynist, homophobic, etc. I mean, it, they already believe that the the, the Bible. Is of is either of no use to them or or should be actively belittled. Look, what about these translations that remove he with reference to God? In in my Genesis commentary, I have I have I have essays. Uh, I I explain virtually every verse. I know biblical Hebrew very well. And I explain each verse. And then I uh, offer essays on topics like why is God referred to in the masculine? And it, it, it's not coincidental. It's, it's you, you need a father on earth and you need a father in heaven. Then you have a much better chance at having a good society. Right now, we lack fathers on earth and fa- a father in heaven. And there is mayhem in, in America's cities. It, it is directly related to the absence of father uh, in heaven and father on earth. And they, the, the left is, is removing all masculine references to God. We read a poll earlier, a Gallup poll. They've been asking it since 1944. The question is, do you believe in God? 81% say yes, uh, lowest ever, it used to be 98%, whatever. But a later question they ask is, uh, do you believe that the Bible is the word of God, the literal word of God? And only 20% believe that. So what God do people say they believe in? If well, not I, I would ask, one? yes. I actually, I would prefer that we concentrate on, uh, on a smaller segment of the Bible. Uh, I, my question to people because I understand why that question was asked, and it it comes from a good place. I will I would narrow it even. Just say, did God give the Ten Commandments? If you say yes, you and I are kindred spirits. If you think God uh, is the author of Proverbs or Matthew, that's that's your business. But my business is: Do you believe in a moral law that comes from God? And so my question to people is, was the Ten Commandments divinely revealed? If you can't say that, then your God and my God are not the same. Hmm. I want to ask you about worldview, and this ties into it. Why does that matter? Why does, it, why does the Ten Commandments have to be divinely inspired versus the creation of man and still be good? The, uh, the Look... I have a whole a video and I have a whole essay on if God didn't say do not murder, m- murder is not wrong. This drives atheists and secularists and even secular conservatives crazy. They think, oh, reason tells me murder is wrong. I'm sure it does, but it doesn't make it wrong. 
there's a big difference. Mm. And a lot of people rationally concluded murder was terrific. The, if there is no God, all ethics are subjective. Every atheist philosopher till the modern period, till the contemporary period, acknowledged that that was true. I debated the subject at Oxford with an atheist professor who was completely intellectually honest. And he said, Mr. Prager is opening comment. Mr. Prager is completely right. If there's no God, all ethics are subjective. And then he went on to, to argue other things, and, and, that, and it was an excellent debate. But he acknowledged, Jonathan Glover is his name, he's a, he's a great, great man, great moral, seriously moral atheist. But he acknowledged all morality is subjective. It's a matter of opinion if there is no God. What's the problem with that? If we continue down that road and the society accepts that, what yeah, well, well, then the majority opinion uh, rules. Then the, the majority, what if the majority really says we're not born male or female? The majority says we sexualize children at five years of age. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it, it's endless. The, the majority says that you are a pimple. At, at seven months of pregnancy, you're, you're nothing more than a pimple. Woman wants to remove a pimple. It's no morally different than removing a child. Forget, forget even the early, early months of, I mean, when, it, when everyone acknowledges it's a human being. It just, it's geographic location determines whether it's a pimple or a person. China, I'm going, so I've been a Christian for nine years. Before that, I was nothing. I don't know if I was a militant atheist, but I just didn't care or whatever that, whatever you describe that. And I don't know what my worldview was. I was just kind of blindly going along before I started to read the word. How do you describe the atheist worldview or, or maybe even any other worldview other than the Judeo-Christian one? Maybe the prevailing worldview of the day. How do you interpret that? How do you describe that? So people can understand what the alternative is to it's the, the wor- it's the world christian of, one. The alternative, well, there are many alternatives. I'll, sure. I'll point out two. One is the world of feelings. It's, I have a new a phrase that I've come up with. My five books of commentary are on the first five books, which I think most people would acknowledge are the most important books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, because everything flows from them. Love your neighbor. God loves you. God created the world, the Garden of Eden, the Ten Commandments. Everything flows from the first five books, known as the Torah. I believe they are from God, those five books. I, I, I believe that they are unique within the, the biblical sphere. So I ask people, in effect, that that is my rule book. As I said in a debate with Alan Dershowitz, whom I have great respect for, the Harvard professor, many years ago in New York, we had a debate. And in the middle of the debate, I said, you know, I realize the big difference between Professor Dershowitz and myself. When he differs with the Torah, that's the first five books, he says the Torah is wrong and he is right. When I differ with the Torah, I say the Torah is right and I am wrong. So I ask people, what is your Torah? What do you have a book or set of books that is your basis of outlook on life and value system that transcends you? 
and you ask what you were nine years ago, you had no such book. So you were probably swayed by public opinion. Basically, what mainstream TV, media, films, what they said, that was your Torah. That's, that, that is the answer to the question as I understand it. And the other is chaos. When you, when the American Medical Association announces that you're not born a boy or a girl, then you know we have entered the realm of the truly chaotic and absurd. That is what happens when God dies, when the God of the Bible specifically dies. You end up with with absurdity and chaos. Perfect. The special today is about religion under attack. But when you read the Bible, it's always been under attack. <laughs> Nothing new. Do you see it any different now than in the past? Slash any advice that you have for us? Yeah. Oh, it's. I think it is different today. This is, this is the first experiment in recorded history, with secularism. There has never been an era, in any society that we know of without a belief in God or gods, pagan, monotheist, any type. Hmm. This, is, this is a first. Even Buddhists who don't have a god, they, but they have a transcendent religion. It's Buddhism and the Buddha and, and, and achieving Nibbutta or, or the, the, the elevated state that a Buddhist aspires to. But we have attempted something radical, a secular society, ir, 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 completely irreligious. And uh, the consequences of chaos are before you. Kids don't want to get married. They don't want to have children if they do get married. It, it's, it's basically suicide. I have put before you today, it's in my new book, it's in Deuteronomy, life and death and you shall choose life. The post-Judeo-Christian world is choosing death. We're committing suicide. So when Jezebel had all the people worship Baal, and at least you're saying at least it was something transcendent That's right. above yes. themselves. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. It was wrong, and it had mm -hmm. child sacrifice, human sacrifice, bad stuff, but nothing. And of course, it doesn't end up nothing. People have secular religions, environmentalism, feminism, humanism, socialism, communism. There's a vast number of secular religions. There are more gods and religions today than there were before the Bible. I think we have more gods that, than they did in, uh, uh, in, 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 uh, in, what do you call it, Mesopotamia. I, I, I do. Yeah. I, I'll give you one example, the worship of science. I believe in science, very common statement. So I'd like to ask anybody who says I believe in science, I have a question. Tell me one moral law you learn from science. What does science tell you to, does, what does science tell you to love your neighbor as yourself? Of course not. Does science give you any meaning in life? Of course not. Science is a great tool, but it's not a guide to life. It's worthless. The, the Nazis believed in science. Mm. 
we have to run, Mr. Prager, uh, in honor always. I have the Genesis version here. I want everyone to go buy the Deuteronomy version because what a sight it would be on the New York Times bestseller list to have a study Bible of the book well, of Deuteronomy to be, be a bestseller. It, it, it would me? be, yes, right, exactly. That's my dream, not for me, just to make a statement. The rational Bible, Deuteronomy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. It would drive them it. crazy. Thank you so much. <laughs> Mr. Prager, an honor, sir. Thank you. Coming up next, we'll talk with a pastor up in Canada who uh, was thrown in jail for daring to hold services during COVID. And then we'll talk with the uh, football coach in Washington who was fired for praying in the middle of the field. And that, court, that case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Got that all coming up next. Spread the word. Please get out. Get out of this property. Immediately get out. Get out of this property immediately. Out. I don't want to hear anything. Out of this property immediately. I don't want to hear a word. Out. Out. Out of this property, you Nazis. Out. Out. Gestapo is not allowed here. Evil people. Intimidating people in a church during the Passover. You Gestapo, Nazi, communist, fascists. Don't you dare coming back here. Uh, I remember when that happened. I remember when I first saw that clip. And that man, that pastor, Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky, is with us right now, who was thrown in jail because he dare hold church services during COVID. Pastor, how are you, sir? Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, uh, so much happened after that video. Um, many people do not know that before this incident happened, we were harassed, intimidate, intimidated, um, attacked uh, by those uh, types of uh, individuals, ticketed without mercy uh, for over a year uh, before mm. that uh, incident happened. Over 100 police officers, 52 police cars, 20 police on bicycles, anti-terrorists, and a chief of police would at one time show up at our church. So this was not the first encounter. However, this one was the first that they actually dared to enter the sanctuary, mm. breaking the Criminal Code of Canada, Section 176. And that's why I called them to come back with the warrant. They were breaking the Criminal Code, and they knew it, and they did it multiple times. And of wow. course, for me, doing what I did, I was uh, sentenced to prison. Um, I was arrested multiple times. Over 40 COVID tickets worth millions of dollars uh, since that uh, incident. I'm still facing four trials, including a terrorism charge. What? What? Yeah, so the I, pretense, Pastor, was to, to protect people from COVID because you were holding services, whatever. What do you think the real motivation was for shutting you down and arresting you? Control. Everything we are observing right now is a repetition of uh, history. And as you can quickly tell, I grew up behind the Iron Curtain under the boots of the Soviets. So this is uh, a, a nothing new for me. This, is, this movie I have seen before, this has nothing to do with keeping people safe. This has nothing to do with so-called pandemic. Uh, this is about control. This is about enslavement. This is about you will own nothing and you will be happy. This is about them uh, being a new 
uh, modern day paros, if you will, and the rest of you just a social insurance number and modern day slaves. And again, they are telling, they're outlining you in front of your very eyes what is the plan. And for whatever reason, so many people are falling for it. But because I have seen this movie before, I know how it ends. I refuse to cooperate. I refuse to work with them. I refuse to play this game because I know how it ends. What's the next step? What's the next step in this uh, in their mission to shut it all down? Oh, they're going to bring something new, something unexpected. Um, they already are trying to destroy the food supply. In order to enslave a population, a society, they have to control the food supplies. Uh, that's the next step, and we are seeing it in front of our eyes. Alberta, where I live, is under heavy attack. It comes to farming. Uh, beef uh, producers are under heavy, heavy guns. Uh, they want to replace our best beef, Alberta beef, uh, with crickets, worms, and uh, some kind of bugs, which, as you know, 80% of them have parasites. So the plan is uh, moving forward. Don't teach yourself. They're not stopping. Uh, if you are following economy, you know that those trillionaires, billionaires are buying gold and silver. Uh, they are preparing for the wars. They know what's coming because they're doing it. For us, mm -hmm. however, uh, the solution is very simple. And again, you're talking to a Polish man that grew up behind the Iron Curtain, and I've seen solidarity movement. And solidarity was very simple. Millions of Poles finally said uh, to the communists, we're not your slaves. They took it to the streets. They refused to cooperate. They refused to work. They refused to do anything that the communist tyrants wanted them to do. And they got their freedom. You want to end this tyranny, you got to take it to the streets and you have to stop complying. Stop complying. When they tell you to put the muzzle on, tell them I'm not your dog. When they tell you you cannot see your parents, tell them that's a commandment of God. Honor your father and your mother. When they tell you you cannot open your church, the Bible says do not forsake the gatherings of the saints. When they tell you nonsense, you preach the truth. And that's why they hate me so much because I have huge following right now. Uh, people are being awakened. I tell them the truth and the Bible is very clear. The truth shall set the captives free. Liars always have always been and always will be terrified of the truth uh, because truth sets the captives free. So keep preaching, keep telling people what's going on. And I know more and more people are joining us. And I, I would not be able to do that without my God, without faith. I mean, they tried to murder me multiple times. They put my house on fire. They, um, they uh, broke my car, uh, unscrewed the tires. Um, they uh, tried to murder me in prison. As you know, five inmates already testified that the guards were giving them incentives to kill me in prison. But here I am standing in front of you again telling you do not quit. Do not give up. Our God is bigger than their God. Lions do not bow before hyenas. <laughs> Amen, Pastor. Uh, last question for you. we got one minute. What do you believe has over the decades weakened the Christian faith and the Canadian and American people so much that it has gotten us to this point where there are so few pastors and Christians like yourself who were willing to stand up at all? What led to this? Political correctness and comfort. We have forgotten what the church was supposed to be all about. And it's not about entertainment. It's not about juggling and being mm. a good clown for money. It's about the souls. Jesus died for souls. Go out there, feed the poor, be about souls. Do not compromise. Uh, Jesus was not politically correct. And if you are politically correct, then you're on the other side of the fence. Jump 
to our side and uh, become a real follower of Jesus Christ. How can people support you, Pastor? streetchurch.ca streetchurch.ca and you can uh, support us there as you know we still feed thousands of people on the streets of Calgary and we have never shut down our church and I do not intend shutting down our church ever fantastic Pastor Arthur Pavlowski uh, sir I'd love it if we could talk again keep up the wonderful work thank you so much God bless you thank, thank you sir let's talk about another victory coming up next the uh, coach, the football coach in Washington who who prayed in the middle of the field after every football game and was fired because of it and went all the way up to the Supreme Court and won. We'll talk with him. Coming up next. Spread the word. Hey, Cider Crusaders, welcome back to our special Faith Under Attack in America, but let's end on a positive note. So Christianity used to be an assumed part of our culture and therefore an assumed and reinforced aspect of our school system, right? The Ten Commandments used to be in every classroom. Like, of course they were. You would never consider them not to be. We used to pray in school. This wasn't that long ago. This isn't ancient history. And it was a Supreme Court case in 1980 when the Ten Commandments first came down. And now we have 42 years of, of rotten fruit to show for what that wrought. Uh, and it's all, we did a whole special recently on the separation of church and state and people have it backwards, right? Separation of church and state, uh, it means that the government cannot force their will on religion. It doesn't mean that religion can't be a part of government or our education system. And this issue came up again with our next guest. He was a football coach in Washington state. And since 2008, he would pray after each game briefly, just a couple seconds in the middle of the field. And eventually players would join him. And because of that, he was fired. And the school said it was an endorsement of religion and uh, the coach wasn't allowed to engage in any observable religious activity. And the Supreme Court just recently ruled that that firing was illegal and hopefully he'll be back on the field soon. Coach Kennedy is here with us. Coach, how are you, sir? It's wonderful to be here and boy, you nailed uh, everything just spot on earlier. Beautiful. I'm glad. I'm grateful and I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you keeping on and not giving up. Did you ever think, you know what, this isn't worth the hassle, I'll just stop praying after the game. I don't, it's not worth the headache, and I'll just pray somewhere else or whatever. Yeah, it crossed my mind actually many, many times. Uh, you know, this was huge on my family, the impact. My wife, she was the HR director for the school district, so you can imagine what wow. that did to our, our, our home life. My kids were in the school, and I was about to lose my football team. And so, yeah, many times I thought, wow, is this really worth it? And then one day, one of my kids said, coach, can't you just give in? This sucks. Can't you just, you know, give in to what they want? And I knew from that second on that, you know, hey, I asked these guys to do everything on a Friday night and to fight like heck. And all of a sudden, I'm going to quit because it becomes uncomfortable for me. No, I had to set the example. So mm. that's what I did. That was the defining moment that I knew that, no, I'm going to stand by my guns and stand up for the First Amendment. Wow. What message do you think this sent your kids? And what message would it have I, sent I think, if you did stop? I, I think... I think it went really well for them because, you know, leadership by example is so huge and, you know, it's not something that um, you can easily observe, but when you go through something like that, even though things might be really bad at the beginning, 
you could totally understand at the end that, hey, some things are worth fighting for no matter what the cost. And I hopefully I set that example for them and for every American. Yeah, you did. What's What was the most offensive thing that was said to you by the people around you, not just the media, but the people around you uh, throughout this whole ordeal? Yeah, I've had so many things. You know, I had some people that, you know, real tough guys that sit behind a computer all day, you know, throwing me threats and stuff. And I said, well, come on, hey, let's meet for lunch. And yeah, those guys aren't even worth my time. It's when they started attacking my family and, and also butchering what the facts of the case were. They were saying I was trying to, you know, do things I wasn't doing. Like, oh, I wanted to convert every kid and, you know, I was brainwashing them. All this kind of nonsense. People that just didn't have any understanding about our football program and our school and our community. Mm. Well, Kavanaugh kind of brought that up. He's like, he pondered, mused during the, the opening stuff. Uh, aren't you like a player who wants more pl uh, playing time? Maybe he'll just go along with what the coach is doing to try to get in your good graces, to get on the field more. What do you make of that? Yeah, that, that was the part that, that probably made my blood boil the most because obviously they have absolutely no understanding about football in our football team. I was the head coach for junior varsity, which means everybody gets to play. I don't care who you are. They're getting as much playing time as possible. And then on varsity, I had absolutely no say in whatsoever who started, how much playing time they got. My job was to train these young men to be better players, um, put everything out there on the field, and hopefully become better people, you know, when they grow up. So the whole thing about praying and, you know, they have to pray to play just is such nonsense that people obviously don't know what they're talking about. What a great point. What do you think, uh, what does it say, this whole experience you went through, about the state of, uh, of religion in America and also like in the government, right? You work for the government school. Uh, what, did, like, what did their bosses not understand about, about Christianity, about the First Amendment, about the law that caused this whole thing to spiral in the first place? I, I think it was a, really like what you're saying. It, it, mostly, it was a huge misunderstanding of what the separation in church. Uh, you know, the the, the first uh, amendment is what they're really butchering. They they can't figure out what that exactly means. So it's so much easier to just wipe it out and get it off campus instead of you know actually embracing it or teaching and and educating our people on diversity and uh, inclusion and things. You know, all the buzzwords that you hear them preaching today. But their, their lawyer group, obviously, of the school district who covers all of Washington, they have their own agendas. And you very much saw it if you paid attention to the case that they just want to stamp out anything that it has to do with religion, any kind of religion, anywhere in the public square. What's the motivation for that? You know, I, I, I say it's uh, pure evil, but... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what their agenda. Maybe they got something against God. You know, I'd love to sit down with them and, and, and talk to them and find out really why they have such a beef. And I think I'm an all right guy. You know, I know a lot of people that go to different churches. And, uh, you know, if you talk to people, we, we basically all believe in something. And it's not just ourselves. I think they lost focus of that. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Diversity and inclusion somehow not apply to you. I've uh, got 30 seconds, Coach. What's the, uh, what do you want us to take away from your story? How do you want us to live our lives differently knowing you? 
It's super simple. If somebody like me, just an average guy that's from, you know, this town that nobody knows, Bremerton, Washington, if I could stand up and fight and defend the Constitution and stand up for every American, imagine what all of us could do together. You don't have to hide who you are and what you believe in. Feel free to be who you are and stand up for your faith and stand up for others. That's a great thing about America is that if we actually listen to what the Constitution says and we and we actually try to teach and learn from that, we, we could probably do wonderful things for our country right now, especially when we need it most. Well done, Coach. CoachJoeKennedy.com to learn more about Coach's story and what's next. Uh, Coach, thank you for the inspiration, sir. Thank you. Peace, brothers. Man, what fantastic guests we've had today. Let me end, we were just talking about schools. Um, let me end with a metaphor for all of this. We used to be a Judeo-Christian nation, and now we're not. Just like Ivy League schools used to be seminaries, and now they're not. <laughs> Seven of the eight Ivy League universities, which are now bastions of atheist progressivism and Marxism, Seven of the eight of them started out as Christian seminaries. Harvard was founded by Puritans. <laughs> Their mascot still today is the Pilgrim. John Harvard was a minister. The original mission statement of Harvard University, check this out, the original mission statement of Harvard University, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well, the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, John 17, 3 and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation, the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. That was the mission statement of Harvard University. The original Harvard motto was in, when, uh, in Christi Glorium, in the, for the glory of Christ. They used another motto in 1843 for a couple of years. It was for Christ in the church. <laughs> now it's veritas, truth, that's it. But it's not just Harvard. Princeton was founded by Presbyterians as a Presbyterian seminary. Brown was founded by devout Rhode Island Baptists. If you go back to our uh, special, just a couple specials ago, we talked about the separation of church and state. And we talk a lot about the Baptist beginnings of Rhode Island. Dartmouth, founded by uh, Congregationalists. Uh, Dartmouth's uh, motto still is, uh, it's a weird motto. It's Vox Clementis and Deserto or something. It's a voice crying out in the wilderness. That's the motto for Dartmouth, a voice crying out in the wilderness. What's that about? That's John the Baptist in the wilderness, prophesied in Isaiah 40, 700 years earlier. That's what that is, a voice crying out in the wilderness. That's the motto for Dartmouth. University of Pennsylvania was founded by Ben Franklin. 75% uh, of the original trustees were Anglican. Columbia University in Manhattan, it was originally King's College, so of course they were a Church of England seminary. Only Cornell uh, was, the, was the one Ivy League school that wasn't founded with a religious affiliation as a seminary, but they were founded in 1865. All the others were founded in the colonial period, which is my point. By 1865, academia was beginning to run away from Christianity. Yale was founded as a Congregationalist seminary in, in 1701, just a couple years ago, 2005. Yale officially ended whatever last strand of affiliation it had with the church. The beautiful chapel on campus, Patel Chapel, they now hold Buddhist services. The Divinity School, this last Earth Day, had their very first non-Christian service. It was an Earth Day service, described by them as an indigenous and black ecology service 
based uh, with a, or a, a ecology-based service with a sprinkle of cosmology and pantheistic mysticism. Okay, the divinity school at what started out to be a seminary is now hosting Earth Day services about cosmology and pantheistic mysticism. Are you with me on the analogy? Do you see it? Also, the new chaplain at Harvard University is an atheist. The chaplain, not the president of, the chaplain is an atheist. <laughs> Yale's my alma mater. My uh, producer, his alma mater, he went to visit recently. There's the, the church on campus has rainbow flags all over, right? These, start, these places started off as seminaries. Imagine the founders of these universities seeing what they become today. And this is what's happening to our country too. So again, I share this as a metaphor for the country, right? Like the Ivy League schools started out as seminaries to raise young men to be preachers for God's word and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, they're not. <laughs> they're the opposite. They're pagan wastelands. And America's becoming that too. We were founded as a Judeo-Christian nation, there's no question. Founded by people uh, looking for religious freedom to practice their Christian faith. You know, when people talk about religious freedom in our founding, there wasn't a bunch of Muslims and Buddhists and Christians coming over here. They were all Christian. Thomas Jefferson wrote about uh, our rights coming from God. It's the founding document of our country. Our rights come from our creator. You have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What does that mean, pursuit of happiness? The word pursuit means to practice, right? So you're free to practice. And happiness meant virtue. It wasn't a fleeting feeling. It meant a life of virtue. So you're free to practice virtue. Well, what's virtue? Where does that come from? Virtue means to be in line with God's order and will. Oh, Slater, what does that mean? The Massachusetts Constitution of 1780, listen to this. It affirms the happiness of a people and the good order and preservation of civil government essentially depends upon piety, religion, and morality. And these cannot be generally diffused through a community except by the institution of the public worship of God and of public instructions in piety, religion, and morality. You can't be virtuous without understanding and living in God's will. In Hebrew, the word for happiness, it's simsha, S-I-M-H-A, simsha. Uh, it's in the Bible around 100 times. It means joy, gladness, rejoicing, mirth. It's all about the joy of God. And this happiness, right, this, this Hebrew simsha, it comes when you are aligned with God's will. That's the joy and happiness and virtue when you're in line with God's will. Are we? As a country, do you think we're aligned with God's will? A biblical worldview, the God of the Bible? We used to at least try. But honestly, in the end, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't, like, it doesn't matter. In the end, it doesn't matter if America is aligned with God's will. It'd be nice, of course. The real question is, the important question is, are you? Mike Slater, brother what?